I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare, anyone? Hi, listeners. It's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name, and as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello, listeners. This is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. Okay, so today we are revisiting Twelfth Night, 
We reread it, keeping in mind everything that we learned about it when mm-hmm. doing our research for our main series. And I don't know about you, Corey, but I am way less familiar with Twelfth Night than I am with Macbeth. So there was a lot more in Twelfth Night that I was like, oh, this is layered in here, and this is layered in here, and uh-huh. this is layered in here. Yeah, for me, I've always looked at Twelfth Night, and I look at the comedies in general as less complex plays because they're comedies. Yeah. And I think that's a normal way that we're kind of taught to think of these. It's like, oh, we're just doing a comedy. It's funny. It's this, it's that. Mm -hmm. But there's so much layered into it that I was quite surprised by what we found when we did our series. Yeah. With Macbeth, it's overtly full of references and things like that. But Twelfth Night, it's not so obvious. I also don't know about you, but like for me, Twelfth Night feels denser to read. Yeah. I think it's, it has to do with like the structure of the play in general. Macbeth mm-hmm. is one story. And in this play, we've got this love triangle, this brother over here, and then this prank. This prank happening over here. And like the most straightforward of them is the prank. Yeah. 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 With Macbeth, the time like the actual time that it feels like it takes to read the play or see it is so rapid and with 12th night i think because it's like you said not a straight single plot line it's a lot of jumping Mm -hmm. around and a lot of like oh this is where we're at now a lot of reorienting yeah by the time i get to the letter scene i'm always like oh we're halfway through right like this this feels like an act break yeah and it's not what scene what act and scene is it two five Okay. It's in Act 2. That feels like it's so much farther along. It feels like it should be like End of right three, in the maybe. middle of Act 3. Yeah. It is more of a, a marathon. Yeah, there's just so much more like exposition, I think, yeah. in Act 1 to introduce all of these characters who are going to play parts in all of these different plots and to set up all these plots. It feels more like watching a TV show where you have ABC plots and they're staggered throughout the play Mm -hmm. versus Macbeth, which feels like we're starting and we're going to the end. Yeah. Also for me, like we talked about this briefly with in our discussion with Dr. Sawyer Kemp, but the amount of plague that is talked about in this play in one three, there's even the phrase, what a plague yeah. Yeah. Orsino says that Olivia is so beautiful, she could literally purge the air of plague. He doesn't use plague, but he uses... Uh, Something that's a reference to plague. It's a reference to... He says that she could, like, cure the air Cure of, it, because that's how they thought that yeah. the plague would... Yeah. And one, yeah. two, has this, like, imagery of something that looks clean on the outside, being polluted on the inside. Hmm. Yeah, there's just a lot of plague. plague and that does make some sense in that like even if shakespeare doesn't talk about plague very like if there's no plague plot in his plays plague plot right. in his plays tongue twister shakespeare's world was filled with patches of plague mm-hmm. it's very dramatic though for orsino to discuss his love for olivia in comparison to a plague but yeah He's a dramatic man is what I've learned. He's such a dramatic man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I also noticed, uh, similarly to the idea of plague and the medical landscape, 
humoral theory being brought up quite a bit. Yes. Discussing like liver, brain, heart. And that made me want to dive further because we do have our mini episode on the four humors. But to mm-hmm. actually really look more at what exactly the liver, brain and heart, the anatomy of the humors yeah. versus just the state. They really talk about the anatomy of the humors, like the letter wins Malvolio, liver and all. And the liver yeah. was considered like the seat of passion. passion. So like mm-hmm. Malvolio, um, how Malvolio is supposed to be this like melancholy character. But the joke is, is that he's actually very um, sanguine. sanguine. Yeah. Yeah. And liver is a seat of like sanguinity. Yeah. Which the early modern audience would have understood. Yes. And then Orsino talks about Olivia's humors and that if her organs were better balanced, she would love him instead of being melancholy. Blaming the four humors. Yeah. Blaming the four humors. Not the fact that like her brother and father died within a year of each other, possibly from plague. No, 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 no. Not that's it. That's not it. No, no, no. She just needs to like get an adjust, a humoral adjustment and then she'll be in love with him. Yeah. It has nothing to do with him being a POS man. Yes. (laughs) In addition to the humors, I also noticed astrology and medicine. And that's something I'd like to learn more about because Sir Andrew says something. I think it's when he's dancing, showing off his dancing. He goes, Taurus, that's sides and heart. And then Sir Toby says, no, sir, it is legs and thighs. So there's something going on. Yeah, there's something about astrology coordinating to different parts of the body. Yeah, and then that also goes into the four humors because they were used medicinally. Speaking of medicine, kind of tangentially, that there was a lot of sea and water talk. So like tears Mm. are constantly talked about as like brine, eye water. Orsino says that Olivia is embalming her brother with her salt water tears. Yeah. He compares his capacity for love to the sea. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Obviously, there's a shipwreck that... Is yeah. an inciting action to everything. And then also, Antonio is a pirate at sea. There's a lot of like, we're in a sea town. Yeah. Yeah, but they also talk about water being kind of cleansing. And that just got me thinking, like, something I'd love to look at more is because of plague. Um, one of the things that we now know about the plague during this time of the Black Plague and England seeing all of, you know, massive deaths. There were pockets of Europe that did not experience That's plague. Yeah. And they were specifically Jewish and Islamic communities mm-hmm. who have faith practices that, are cleansing. that involve yeah. cleansing with water, bathing regularly, yes. which was not a big thing in England oh, at the time. No, no not at all. Um, especially considering that Illyria is supposed to be this like other place, it's not England. The like historical old ancient Illyria was near like Croatia, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Is Shakespeare kind of bringing in this like non English people, probably doing it in an othering way? Because yeah. that's what the thing was. He was a white Englishman yeah. doing this like kind of othering of, well, there's plague, but there's also like these people who are washing all the time. Mm. Um, isn't that weird? Yeah. Looking at what the context around that would be to see if there's something there. Yeah. What is in there mm-hmm. about water being cleansing and. Because we're set in this kind of like other place. That's interesting. Yeah, we'll have to look at that now. We have to do that now. Is there an intersection there? I'd be interested in finding that out. Seeing if anybody else has done that scholarship. Mm -hmm. 
with water, I also noticed a lot more of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and how the characters that do have loss do mourn and how characters react to their mourning. Mm -hmm. And I actually would like to do more research in that because I only read one article about mourning. And I actually would like to do more research and see like what what was the practice. Let's read more about that debate that we know was going on between this like very Catholic idea of and the very Protestant. Water can also be like holy water, which if we're Catholic versus Protestant Protestant versus Puritanism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like where where do all of these religions like play in that? Because we've explored Puritanism, Catholicism, the different types of Protestantism. How do you look at the totality of it? Yeah. Speaking of which, Festi brings up a lot of Catholic references pretty much only when Malvolio is around, Mm. which I found really funny. Uh I was like, I feel like these are jokes to purposely rile up Malvolio and like offend Malvolio. Yeah, very possible. Also, a thought that would be like looking more into Puritan and Catholic relations. If Olivia is this uh, Catholic Italian figure and Malvolio is this Puritan, this English Puritan figure, why are they so close? Why is he in her household? What is going on there? What is that? What is that? that? Because that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else that you noticed? Um, I was struck by how prose and verse is used in this play mm-hmm. to show relationships and class. Mm-hmm. We have this sort of upstairs-downstairs situation where we have nobility and then we have servant, uh-huh. play, servant, like class. servant class. But also like Sir Toby, constantly in prose. Mariah, Festy, except for when Festy's like singing. Yeah. Pretty much always in prose. prose. Olivia is also in prose until Viola as Cesario calls her proud. And then something about that switches her into verse. Interesting. And in comparison, Viola and Orsino, when we see them together for the first time, they're speaking in verse immediately together. Mm. And they share a bunch of lines. You know, Orsino... Outside of She's the Man, don't want to ship anyone with Orsino. Correct. These two are pretty instantly compatible. They finish each other. Have a chemistry. Heart eyes for each other. Mm -hmm. If anybody's going to end up with Orsino, unfortunately, it's got to be Viola. Yeah. But even still on the second read, uh, in spite of their completing each other's meter, I still on this read... Like you, I could not find where I thought that they should be together, aside from the forced. It's like when they force two characters to be romantic partners, and everyone's looking around going, right. the script isn't justifying it, the story's not justifying it, but you're making it's it happen literally because it has to Viola be. just Viola being like, I like him, he's pretty. Uh-huh. And then he's like, oh, well, you've got Yeah, Surprise. now that I know you have will you marry me? Not, Still not great. On the read through, I was like, I really do care more about the prank plot and Malvolio's plot. Yeah. Then I really care about Viola and Orsino. Same. Don't. Yeah. They're a couple of basic. I'm interested you know, in Olivia's story and like where she's at. Mm-hmm. Viola is um pretty just like heteronormative. 
and yeah. a bit bland. Like, you know, wants to live a very heteronormative life, and mm-hmm. yeah, not interesting. She's pretty basic. Yeah, she's just she's a basic, and yeah, he's a she's Chad. Just, she's just cross dressed, literally, because Olivia's house is not taking any new job applicants. Yeah. She is not She'd challenging be... gender stereotypes, gender norms. She's not exploring sexuality, and she's not living on any sort of spectrum. She's not a revolutionary about no, it. No, she's, she's not. not trying to push a narrative forward. She's literally just trying to be with Orsino as much as possible Yeah, and make him happy. Yeah. Yeah. A bit disappointing. I'm not mad at you, Viola. I'm just disappointed. You're no Rosalind. No. No Rosalind. I mean, who knows what we'll think about Rosalind when we do Once we actually die. like it. But as of but right now. As of right now. No like, Rosalind. Comparatively, you are really not at all like the other two heroines who cross-dress. Yeah. And I'm still much more interested in the Roaring Girl, which I hope <gasps> we cover as a contemporary of Shakespeare. But that character, much more interesting. Mall cut purse? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Last thoughts, Earl of Leicester. I saw him quite a bit. Oh. Sir Toby says, to anger him, we'll have the bear again, and we will fool him black and blue, shall we not, Sir Andrew? So that sprinkling in, Elizabeth sprinkled in, I saw that more. Law humor, puns, misunderstanding of legal jargon. I was like, why is this here? Why do they keep making jokes? place for the court now we know it was for a specific audience and one last thing i noticed that malvolio's madness is tied to the devil however the devil and possession is presented in the form of a comedy when we see references to the devil for king james it's in a tragedy so is there some sort of difference between for elizabeth versus james what is that you know there could be absolutely nothing there but elizabeth was protestant but she didn't take her religion quite as seriously as she wasn't so strict about it and she kind of was a bit of a blend like she had maintained some catholic practices yeah and i mean we do know from our research about james that he kind of began this discussion of the devil being an active player in the world right rather than just kind of like an evil Yeah. yeah and i couldn't imagine james enjoying laughing at making fun of someone for being possessed by the devil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow King James and the devil makes it back into our into our lives. <laughs> but we um, always right back to that we chose to read demonology. I know. But um <laughs> that was just that was just an observation that I had where I was like, there could be something here and uh I think it's time to do more research on Elizabeth and James and the differences Ooh. between their connection to religion. Many more interesting things here than I thought when we first read this and we're like, this is going to be our play. Yeah, this is going to be the first comedy mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up our revisiting of Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. And again, as Sebastian says in Twelfth Night, I can no other answer make but thanks and thanks and ever thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. <laughs> I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone. Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. 
If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash ShakespeareAnyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, ShakespeareAnyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From The Merry Wives of Windsor, Act 1, Scene 1, said by Bardolph. Why, sir, for my part, I say the gentleman had drunk himself out of his five sentences.